when you have disaster in your life, you lost all the culture in Somalia, the smell of the food, you lost celebrations, you lost 40, 50 kids in my class died in the war, you lost uncles who get killed and all this stuff, and you're still angry and you're still upset. I, I decided to create my own bubble. And you know, one of the successful is after I create my own bubble of things, people still like to join my bubble. That, that's success that I was talking about. Hello, my name is Matthew Swatino and welcome to Moments of Clarity. Today I'm speaking to Abdi Aden. Abdi's world fell apart when he was only 15 and Somalia's vicious civil war hit Mogadishu. Unable to find his family, he fled, heading towards neighbouring Kenya. On the way, death squads hunted him and those he met while fleeing. Abdi and a group of other boys were caught and lined up to be executed. Miraculously, the bullets missed Abdi and he fell to the ground and feigned death. Of those who set out with Abdi, only five survived to reach Kenya. All alone in the world and desperate to find his family, Abdi couldn't stay in Kenya, so he turned around and undertook the dangerous journey back to Mogadishu. But the search was fruitless, and eventually Abdi made his way, alone, with no money in his pockets, to Romania, then to Germany, completely dependent on the kindness of strangers. He was just 16 years old when he arrived in Melbourne. He had no English, no family or friends, no money, no home. Yet against the odds, he not only survived, he thrived. Abdi went on to complete secondary education and later university. He became a youth worker, was acknowledged with the 2007 Victorian Refugee Recognition Award and was featured in the SPS second series of Go Back to Where You Came From. Today, Abdi is raising a family in Melbourne and giving back to his community and has written an uplifting and inspiring book about his survival as a refugee, Shining, the story of a lucky man. Everything Abdi has endured and achieved is testament to his quiet strength and courage, his resilience and most of all, his warm-hearted, shining and enduring optimism. Abdi is passionate about fighting racism and standing up for human rights. He has a beautiful family whom he loves dearly and works tirelessly as a youth worker in community development and as a professional speaker. Abdi's work revolves around overcoming hardship, mental health issues, adolescence and difficult social positions. Abdi supports the Red Cross in Search for Safety program in Melbourne, which visits schools to talk with students about what it means to seek asylum in Australia. Through his work with Success Over Adversity, Abdi speaks to a wide range of groups, including schools, rotary clubs, corporates and community groups. I was incredibly privileged to hear Abdi speak to a school group a couple of years ago, and I've always wanted to have a conversation with him. After speaking on the phone and getting to know each other a little, it was great to finally have Abdi on the podcast. Abdi and I have a rich discussion that I know you will enjoy. If you want to find out more about Abdi, please see the show notes where I've added links to some of the great work Abdi is doing. Thank you for listening to Moments of Clarity. I cannot thank you enough for taking the time out to share in what I am passionate about and hear a little bit of wisdom from some great people. Now, without further delay, I bring you Abdi Aden. Abdi, welcome to Moments of Clarity. Thank you. Uh, thank you for inviting me. That's my pleasure. Abdi, I'd love to get started with a little bit of a history about yourself. Where did you grow up? My background is uh, I was born in Somalia, especially Mogadishu, which is the capital city. Uh, I, I think if you know that side of the world, uh, you will know very well. Uh, Mogadishu was a city where I had a trade of Europeans, Africans, Middle Eastern uh, 500 years ago. It's an old city and the food even comes from all these type of 
there's no such thing Somali food. I mean, there is Somali food, but you can tell the difference of the flavors, the lemon and and all these flavors and came from this type of people. 500 years a long time. And uh, yeah, so I was actually born in a city where um, absolutely have a lot of cultures and understanding and learning other people's culture is something that you should be doing. It's something that if you do that means you are extremely intelligent, smart. So it's the, it's the other way around sometimes when I, I talk to people, you know, they try not to learn much about other cultures. That They think that's the way to go, but it's the opposite. So I had uh, that lifestyle as a kid growing up. I'd grown up with theatres, uh, comedy, uh, movies, which uh, movies always been American movies were translated to Somali language. And, yeah, so it was was really, I, I'd grown up really good time you know, as, you know, 80s, as a kid growing up in 90s in Somalia, you know, it was great. Not You know, this is before the war, so. Well, that's the memory or the, the vision a lot of people have about Somalia today and how it is a nation that, that has its troubles and perils and, and, a, and a history, a recent history that's really tough. But you're talking about this rich, vibrant cultural hub. Can you give a couple of memories of your upbringing in, in Mogadishu? before the war broke out? Growing up in Mogadishu, I had as anything that any young person can have. Like when I talk to my wife who was born in Australia, when she tells me things that she used to do, you know, like a basic things, going to the cinemas, going to the showground, you know, we call it um, where you see a lot of animals, a lot of farming, but you go to people playing, you know, like a, um, a fun things. And I had that. I, I had that. I mean, I used to get ice cream. You know, the ice cream sometimes is different to what we hear. But the basic thing that an Australian person my age had, that's my memory, you know, going to the cinemas. You know, my parents didn't like taking me to cinemas because they were busy doing but that was the parenting those days. Not like now, I have to feel guilty if I say no to three times to my children, you know. But uh, I had a really good life. You know, I had probably I have closer to the modern culture where, you you know, you got you play soccer, you know, you fish it. You know, we, we had our own, we call, you know, different. We don't celebrate Christmas, but we had our own. We had, you know, National Day where we celebrate. We had mainly, you know, Mother's Day. I remember it was 8th of March and and all these things, um, you know, my memory was really good. And I just remember wanted to become a soccer player, wanted to become a, a pilot one day. You know, my, my one thing stuck with me was a teaching. I was teaching of, uh, you know, school. And, and I, I always say to my public speaking, I actually haven't missed that because I'm I'm actually become a youth worker and I'm, educator with young people in a different way probably gave me more freedom to be able to teach young people or to guide them empower them the words that they normally you try to use and and uh, you know I was very lucky being able to become a youth worker but I had something I had back in my mind that I wanted to be a teacher so my memory in Somalia is probably what gave me a loving life and myself that's why I'm I'm very attracted to you know become an educator and fun and you don't have to be very serious about it in life and rather than, you know, I mean, a lot of people go to religious or they go to culturally things, but sometimes you need to balance it rather than because you lose your sense of, of yourself and, and that time. So I had a more play life than very serious. Although most of the Somali people at that time were not as serious as today. 
And, you know, to answer your question, one other thing you asked me, Somalia, the reason, you know, people remember what happened after the war, the Western world obviously didn't interest it before that, and now it's interested. So the things that Western world remembered is war, and I don't remember what I know was a war, but my early childhood was a country where people, people didn't, if you say something to a woman or children, people will discipline you in the streets. You have to respect elderly, you know, some of the, so I remember all the good stuff and people often say, oh, you know, after you went through a war and become, yes, that's true, uh, a lot of trauma, but at the same time, I had really good upbringing um, that, you know, you respect adults, you respect education and, you know, you, you, you I actually brought, being brought up, being, doing the right thing and being a good person rather than religion or rather than culturally I have to be right but that's about it so I can see very clear thing when people confused about religion culture and and I have to be to be honest I wanted to make the world in a better place in my own way even if I do one percent of it that's why I believe being a genuine it's the best way so my I always think I don't know why but my background play a lot you know my memory having happy kid then teenage, really hard time. It's a very hard, you know, 13 to 16 um, uh, war, but at the same time, I had a really maybe a good foundation. I don't know. In that, Abdi, I want to get into your teaching. I want to get into your current work now because I know that you are empowering so many young people and so many people in general. But before that, plug your book. I'd love to hear a little bit about your book because I, I want to delve into the stories in there before we go into into the current time. So you do have a book out where people can find out more. Yes, uh, I was very lucky. Um, thanks for asking the question. I was very lucky uh, to write my own story, whether you are Australian or Somalian or whoever you are. I was very lucky that I wrote my book and I got a good publisher that can contribute, you know, send everywhere, but at the same time, I have to promote myself. But I don't do a promotion. I do it as I love it. I love to tell my story. And because I want, even if I didn't have a book, I probably would do the same if I could. But my book was based off Somali culture and Somali the war. So we don't talk about, um, I mean, I've got another children book called Yes, I Can, but that talks about before the war. But my book, uh, the ones with the school, all the young people are reading, you know, 80% Australian kids are reading and New Zealand also, very lucky to be able to do that. But I basically choose, when I was writing my book, I didn't want people to change. You know, you got this view, I don't know if you, you probably as an intelligent person, you understand, is that you're always worried about it. If you write your story and then a Western person publishes, they'd probably change it around to fit themselves. But it didn't happen like that. that I think that's why... I mean, last night, I mean, I knew I would speak to you today. Last night I was, I was, I haven't looked to my uh, people making good comments about my book review and it was like four and a half stars and I, I thought it was amazing, you know. And But people were making comments and saying, look, I, I, I really enjoy this book and, and this is genuine Australian people living in Queensland, you know, West Australia, wherever they live, you know, and saying that I really enjoyed it. I'm very sad but very funny and I thought well, that's actually me you know I see myself very serious do the right thing but also sometimes it's good to be funny and and make make fun of myself rather than others because then you you're putting other people's down which I never learned growing up to put other people down and you feel good about it. that's not something mm. 
And then so my book's based on my life story in Somalia, the war coming to Australia, and then not, not realising that um, I'll end up, when people read it, they will interpret their way of saying, this book's actually more adversity uh, changing your life. And, and then some people say resilient, and some people say refugee, and some people say just abdi, you know. And it's actually, I, I, I could not believe it. That's not something I was predicting to become. So my book is based on my life. And this is, if you read my book, it means that it's like you met me. This is what people told me. I don't know about myself in that. But people will say, oh, you're the same as the way you talk like the same. And and it's really, really privileged to be able to do. Like even you doing uh, this beautiful storytelling yourself, if someone say to you, oh, you know, I, I listened to your story and, and you come across the way I thought it was you, I think it's one of the best thing comment I can have. I don't want to say you, but I, I'm just saying if someone said to me, Abdi, you're doing a great work because of looking after the young people who actually have no vision of refugees, Somalia, or adversity, all these, and I'm coming in and saying, my name is Abdi, I look different to what they expected, although I'm not different, I don't feel that, because I'm a youth worker, and when I met them, it's like, I know you young people, I do. Like That's how I actually see it. So it's really nice being able to uh, tell my story and the way I would like to tell, and 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 it gives me. I was actually saying to my wife today. I said, "Oh, I I feel like it's a therapy talking about myself. Not not in a way yourself talking about. I, I no one likes to talk about themselves in the day, but you know, in a sense of talking about Somalia, what happened, and not everything that you cha- you always change to the group that you're talking to because they great four till you know, 80 years old Rotary Clubs, you know. So you have to change it and, and it's a little bit clever way of I would not tell my story through my book and public speaking if I did not understand the complex of Western culture. So I, when, when you're listening to this story, I, I want people to hear that I'm not just a refugee guy running around Michael, whatever, or African. No, it's about how to understand about Western history of economic, history of injustice, history of technology, because you need to cover, if you want to tell a good story, a bad, good means that the truth of it, you need to talk about good and a bad, means then we realise how much we came so far in this world. So the good thing about Western world did was, uh, you know, making sure people are employed equally, the ideology, you know, we like to do that. Uh, you know, human rights and all that. But the other hand is when you employ someone who actually have no understanding or never learned about human rights, and that's where the abuse comes from. But again, I have to learn all that. I went to community development. I finished my degree. I did postgraduate of mental health welfare lessons. So I educate myself as empty and educate myself as an, like I should be sometimes, I've actually never said this loud, but I should be putting my title, you know, studying a Western culture. You know how people say, oh, I learned the Indonesian culture, I'm a professor of, you know, but I feel like sometimes I should be saying, I'm actually, I'm not a professor, but of course, but learning about, you know, putting in my title, Western culture, because Western culture is you cannot be successful unless you know it. Doesn't matter how much clever you are, doesn't matter how much knowledge you have, if you cannot translate to Western people, because in Australia, majority are come from an English uh, Western culture. So if you cannot capture those people, you cannot change anything. 
So you can't even change migrants and refugees because migrant refugees always go through the path of mainstream culture. So I had to learn, I had to do the other way around. Often people say, oh, you know, are you helping your community? Well, if I only help my community, I can't help the other community. So the idea is, and people often say, oh, Abdi just like to, you know, you know, talk to everyone. But it is about we're all in this together. So whether you come from Somalia or not, if something happened, coronavirus time, COVID-19, we all thought we are one. But then when it finishes, we think, oh, you, you are this and you are that. So I understood that coming from war and learning about community development, the bad Second World War, First World War, Somali history, African cultures and independence and, and, you know, South Africa, all these things happen in America, slavery and, and all these things in you know, South America. And so then you can translate. When a young person asks you a question, all, all the time they say to me, how come you know that question? And I said, because I lived in Romania. I know what poverty like in a Western culture. And I know what poverty like in, in Africa, if you want to call. So you need to be explaining that. So I'm very privileged. I never use, I, I never abuse my power of telling stories because when you tell stories, you need to be very, very honest about, I mean, you don't want to be honest with people. You're scared of people. But in an educated way, you will say, you know, this is what happened to me and it happened, but now I'm doing very well and I'm making the difference. And people understand that. It doesn't matter what culture you come from. So that's where my book basically based on. Uh, people might find a comedy and people will say, oh, how come you don't like cricket? And, you know, just the, some of the jokes that are in the book. But, you know, it's it's me. You know, I'm an Australian person who live in Australia. I can say things that I find hard and I find easy so it can balance it. And, and you know, I like to be funny sometimes, but I don't mind if people laugh at me rather than story, but that's all okay. Uh, but my book's basically showing my current family. You know, I have three kids and my wife and, you know, one of my jokes, so the, one of the funniest one always saying, you know, my wife's from all, also from overseas, but, uh, and then people start to think, oh, maybe she's from Somalia or someone else, but I say she's from Tasmania. It's always funny unless you're Tasmanian, but that's fine, you know. <laughs> Life's not fair, I guess. Someone have to make fun of you, you know, but in, in a good way, you know. Uh, I'm curious to know, because I hear often, I'm teaching a unit on livability, and we look at the livable cities in the world and those that are less livable, you know, in the scales that all these different economic, you know, intelligence agency and all these different groups put together. And people often look at the way that cities go up and down the list over 5, 10, 15 years, and they're very interested in it. And I'm interested in, in wondering, we're in Melbourne and we think that there's nothing that can affect us, nothing that can harm us. I mean, even the coronavirus, although it did change our lives for a while, you know, things have sort of got back on track to a way for, for many people. Um, you know, minor changes, we're doing this over Zoom rather than in person, things like that. But many people are back on their feet, or a lot of people are. But somewhere like Mogadishu, where you were talking about cinemas and restaurants and community, did you find while you were still there, before you were forced to flee, were there changes that you recognised, even as a child, or maybe your family recognised, that gave you a hint that, that the goodness was coming to an end there? Yes, I, I do remember uh, all those uh, early stage of before the war. But um, but as you mentioned, uh, when I lived in Somalia as a kid going to primary school, I actually felt exactly the way you described Melbourne. I thought nothing will happen. Nothing will happen to us. Our culture is very dominant. 
as when you listen Australian, you know, culture and you you hear people think, oh, nothing's going to happen to us. I remember 20 years ago in Melbourne, in September 11, when something happened, and I thought, oh, my God, there's another war. And I do remember people are saying to me, Australian-born people will say, oh, Abdi, nothing will happen in this country. You come from war. Don't worry about it. This country is probably the best place to live, which is good, the best place current. But, you know, and then when, when you know, September 11 happened, and this is, was before the comments, but September 11 happened and, and even the war in terror and then the coronavirus, the, when I said to people, do you remember you say that? And they will say, no, I don't. So that's how much in Mogadishu that you don't recognise when you're the dominant culture of your culture is everywhere. That's what I mean, dominant. Like you got cafe, you got AFL, you know, you, you celebrate Christmas. The things that you think about is about, oh, am I going to be healthy to live longer? I think about, I cannot believe that I'm still doing well. So this is the difference that someone come from, uh, you know, war-torn and not. So, But in Somalia, I used to feel exactly the way you and your colleagues, I mean, not particularly you because you're teaching and educating people, but people around you believe that's exactly how. So, But before the war, I can see the sense of the war and safety because what happened was the first thing we felt is because my father lost his job working in a hospital, the lost by the president's cousin. So they gave him, and this guy was not worked in a hospital, can't manage it. The hospital, my father lost his job. When he lost it, he, start, he started again, and I could not believe, and my father went to three months in jail because he said, oh, this person's not qualified. So that type of uh, dictatorship, that's how it started. So then, then it gets things worse because a small town who has not the same tribe as the president would lose every funding, the soldiers will abuse the town. A lot of things was happening. And then slowly the managers of other tribes, such as the banks, uh, the CEO of the soccer, whatever, was to start missing. That was the last. They just start missing. The person won't turn up to his children. And then that's how it started. What was your father working as? Was he a manager of a hospital? Was he a doctor? What was he... He was, um, he learned, um, again, my father's come from a tribe where they didn't have many chances to become a, a doctor, although he actually was studying till he lost his position. Again, similar situation, but this is the uh, 60s, uh, uh, 70s. Uh, so what happened was he lost, that he ended up becoming a nurse because he didn't want to lose his sense of medicine. And in, in, in Africa at that time, in Somalia, being a nurse is actually sometimes you better than the doctors because I'm not saying they are the sake of saying, but because nurses are there all the time. Mm. So you're actually more important. If someone wants to take their blood, you take them. If someone wants to take a medication, you take it. Where the doctor comes once a day and you pay money and then he goes if you miss your appointment. The person reinforces. So my father, so he became a management on the, for the hospital and he was probably uh, the qualified because he actually... The reason he ended up in the hospital also is my his uncle used to be a, a nurse. So he used to take as a child to become his father. He lost his own father at a young age, died. Three kids, they got separated, his family. He ended up with his uncle, the mum's side, and he was in the hospital. So when he went to the hospital, he used to take as a child and when he used to work, uh, the uncle, he was there. And then he decided to become a medical that never went anywhere. I, 
but he, that's how the story actually, I've never told that story before in that level of my father explaining. And then he had to start again, lost his job. And, and they, you know, he had to start, he, he did the opposite of profession. He started doing the cooking, uh, you know, he started cooking and start working in a bar. And then he ended up going to France to work with the embassy, the person him and used to be colleagues 10 years ago, but now he's working for him. So that's injustice you can see. And, and I grew up as a kid being discriminated as even the day I was born. And it's very hard to explain in a Western world where people think, well, you're African and I'm from Western culture, but already the gap. But it's not. I've grown up being discriminated. I have to hide my tribe. I have to tell people. I have to speak their dialogue and I can speak their dialogue and my dialogue. I come home, I have to speak to my dialogue. People make fun of you and it's humiliating and it's just you won't go anywhere. So actually if you talk about it, being resilient and adversity, I would like you, and thanks for asking the question, I actually feel I was already passed in a situation where I should not off that. It's, I actually should not be successful even coming to Australia and functioning person and it's very hard to explain unless you're part of the tribal in Somalia. And the Somali people could not believe it. And oh, you become a leader, but I'm not, I'm not a kind of wanted to be a leader, but they have no one else in my tribe. So they they so disempowered if you know we, we got communities like that in Australia. So you can see, so I'm actually done so well already. So coming to Australia, it was like people say, you, you've done very well, thank you very much. But if you only knew. You know, you don't say that, but if you only knew what I went through as a child before the war, I had to hide my identity. That actually brings it as an adult nightmares because, you know, you, you worry about if you see a police officer, if you see an army, if you see someone really abusing you in the streets, you know, and you can't recognise it because you've been brought it up in a situation you have to hide so I'm actually extremely, I cannot believe I reached this age and I've got three kids and i got a job. But then on top of that, writing my story, it was just, and that's how it came about um, Somalia. And so I don't talk about that because people don't ask. People are not interested in that part of it because they think, well, your story starts when the war started and we help you to come to Australia. And that's about it. You know, that, that kind of thinking and you just have to respond that. But actually, I... The reason I'm even doing well here is because I had some experience how to navigate. I have to convince people that I'm a nicer person and genuine before they say it. So not the other way around. People people meet and they say, oh, my name is Abdi, my name is Michael. We meet and they like each other and that's about it. I have to work harder to be able, because the, the things that you, I mean, I don't do it now anymore, but in situations when I feel threatened, in a situation where you got my son's basketball and people say, oh, so Abdi, what do you do? And I said, oh, I actually talk about refugees and my experience. And they say, oh, you know, we can't trust refugees. They're criminals. And I'm thinking, well, you came as a migrant, as Europe, aren't you? So yeah, but I, I, we were different. But what's the difference? You came same age as me, even a little bit older. So what about you can be the criminal? But no, no, that's not how it works. But you and I are so different. No, we are not. I said, I work with children. I'm not saying you're not but I'm genuine, but don't think that. So you need to expect, so that's my experience example. I had to convince people to say, look, I'm actually like you. And they will say, no, 
I'm like you. And then they, but if that conversation, we only meet each other a couple of times, we'll never finish it. Like we never finish that story. So my adversity and resilience came from very deep as I was born. Yeah. Yeah, that's really interesting that that adverse, as you said, adversity, which made you resilient and probably resourceful and, you know, Absolutely. being able to to mix with different people and different crowds and know what they might want has really helped you in Australia. But I'm sure it would have helped you even when you had to be really resilient. You mentioned the war a couple of times. One of the uh, the things that's remembered from some of your speeches talking to students that have he- heard you speak and they're all, you know, uh, if anyone hasn't had a chance to hear you speak, you know, looking you up online or, or having a school, you know, inviting the school that you know to have you over is a a must-have experience because I, I've had it, seen it a couple of times now and it's incredible. But one of those stories is that resilience to 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 start the journey and finish the journey towards, I guess, safety again or, or a search for safety. Can you go through that story of once you realised there was a dictatorship in Somalia, you've gone through everything that you did and then you you had to flee. What what made you flee and, and what was that journey like? Actually, that's a good question and I'll explain this. Um, often I don't answer these questions because of the timing and the, what people want, but you're asking very open questions. The dictatorship was really terrible because you... You can't be equal to the people who's dictated because they're not your tribe. But what happens is once you go through that experience, even if your tribe start ruling after 10 years or whatever, you got those experiences. You can be very angry and revengeful. But what happens is never get to that, which I don't want to be in that position. But what happens is you mentioned a really good point, is once you feel vulnerability a very long time, there's two things often. You feel vulnerable, you can't come back to it. You just become have a really mental health issue, which mental health issues are lots. You know, you can have mental health issues, but no one really understands or no one detects it, and you will suffer the rest of your life. But another thing is you become bounced back. It's a very hard thing to do when you've been so vulnerable a long time to stand up and say, my name is Abdi Aiden. I am someone, I'm going to be very successful myself. You don't have to be successful in anything what people want. I have done that, which is quite interesting because all the people I talk to in Somali people and Australians, but Somali people, they cannot come back. They are too angry and they say, no, I don't want to do that. Australia is a good place, but Somalia is bad. Or they will say Somalia and Australia is bad. So everything where I came and said, no, no one is bad unless you have less experience in life. And this is what I tell the young people. I said to children, no one is bad unless you have less experience than the rest of the group that you're with. And you look like someone who didn't have. So you, everyone else thinks you, you might be bad, but you are not. So it's a way of to train yourself. And the other thing I was telling a young person uh, the other day, and I said to him, don't use the word bad. Use the word interesting. Because what happens if you keep saying interesting, then you will look like someone who listens, someone who understands, and then slowly you become a really resilient and respectful. That's how you change. You cannot change having a negative stories yourself, telling yourself, 
So it's quite important. And the resilient thing is that you need to be able so vulnerable situations where you feel threatened, you feel not safe. This is not something you tell Australian kids because if you say that means, well, I don't want to be in that place, but how would you learn? So there's only two things often I come across. It can be three or four, but what I know is if you went through bad experience and you both went said, you know what, it's not my fault, that's the environment, I'm going to be doing what I'm doing. Or, or you also went through the idea of something horrible happened to your family, but it's very hard to change people's minds to say you're actually a very lucky person to live in Australia where you can actually have your own phone, no one's listening to you, have your own friends, no one is saying to you, you know, no one can say you can't marry anyone else where some cultures are, you know. So all these basic human rights, how do you become, how do your children grow and healthy if you don't have that type of basic human rights? And this is why I love Australia in a way educating young people, but I also educate myself every single day. Abdi, you discussed having a unique position where you have a knowledge of Western culture, Somali culture, and also youth culture. Are you finding as a youth and community worker that there is a lack of resilience or understanding about mental health strategies from people in all walks of life? Absolutely. I find that uh, uh, people often struggle what's best for them. And this is something I work on and my family. What's better for us in 10 years or five years? So sometimes I say to young people when the time comes and, and the conversation bets what we're talking about, I always say to young people is that do things better for you in the future rather than thinking now, oh, I don't want to volunteer because it's hard work or I don't want to volunteer because I have to get up 9 o'clock. I mean, 9 o'clock is not early, but to them. So oh, it's raining today. So you do things that you don't feel comfortable today and it will pay off. So how do you tell people? I learn that every day, and that's why I love talking to my public speaking and engaging with people because I learn myself what I'm preaching. The other thing that if you you wanted to know about Western culture and that, the, the countries like Canada, Australia, UK, America, the similar culture we have, it's actually when you convince people wear a mask of the coronavirus, the Scandinavians had a better than where we live in in the Western world. And I always find fascinating because the Scandinavian, when they were looking for their uh, coronavirus numbers and how many people, you know, are going to take the, medic, you know, the medication and the injection, and they knew how many people they had. But in Australia, we have to convince people, please, come and take it. Please, wear your mask. Rather than say, guys, it's better to wear a mask nine to five because that's uh, the risk time then people will do it. Why is that? It's because education, education, it's very important. But we think in Western world, the countries that we live in, Canada, Australia, and these countries, we think we are far better ahead than the rest of the world. We are not. We talked about before with Somalia 1980s, people were listening far than what I learned about Australia 1980s. So, and you cannot say, you know, people often say, and you mentioned this before, he said, oh, Melbourne is the best living, livable city, but we have a homeless people. How that work? 
How, how, how livable uh, when people are actually born in this country and not born in this country, in homeless people, and we still struggle with uh, women cannot walk the street. So how is it safe? But, and then one of the things, and I'll tell you, I'm being honest with you with this one, and one of the things that really surprises me is why when I say, not I, but when other people similar like me and you tell someone Australia is not best country because of this, people will ignore. I wish people say, oh, that's interesting. I didn't know that. And this is the words I always say to people. Say those words and I feel good that I waste my time telling you the story about something that half an hour that I met you in the bus stop. I've been telling you about this story, you know, I connect with you, but please use those words because it makes me happy if you say, interesting, I learned something from you. And I'll say, I learned something from you too. So we live in a better place. But how come we are not, cannot achieve those basic goals about saying the right thing to people, even our government, why someone would say, well, I really, I don't understand it. I am a man, but I don't understand it, but I agree with you, it's the wrong thing to do. Example, how come we don't do that openly? What type of human rights we're giving our community in Australia if I'm a leader? So, and that's why I always say to my, when I do a talk, a group of people in Australia, not particularly Somali, they're my community because I know them. There's a teacher that I've worked with as a youth worker. They're my community because we have similar thinking. I always say to them, be honest the right time if you're scared of. Be honest about things. That's how we teach our children to be honest. But then they will go out there and then they're bullied. they've been bullied because they say something that they believe in. Like my son has struggled. He's 13. He keeps saying to me, how come you're upset with me but when someone walks in, you say hello to nicely? And you know what? And I know you have a child, a small one, and mine is big, but this is something I really, if my youngest I'm practising, not the other two, is that what he's trying to say, how do you do that? He actually said, you are so you, you're telling me what to do and you're so upset, but then someone says, hey, Abdi, and you change straight away. You know what that is, that moment? It was yesterday he asked me. You know what I thought? That's how you learn resilient. That's how you learn, because... It's not your fault that I, ha- I I didn't have a nice lunch. It's not yours. So why do I have to yell at you? Mm. Where a lot of people, yeah. they will be driving on the road, they're upset because something happened to them, they will abuse the other drivers. So that's where the resilient, it's not, resilient is not a, a word that we cannot understand. Resilient is how do you change when something happened to you? Mm. How do you do that? And I actually answered him. I said, that's how you learn about your parent, the way they behave, that I hopefully become, you become similar, not like me, of course, because we have different experience. But I think he actually meant it in a bad way. He said, how come you were yelling at me and doing this and you're not doing this? But then when you someone walked in, you were, hi, how are you? Have a cup of tea. Because my cousin just walked in and uh, we haven't seen it for a while. And then in the street, someone say hello to me as I was outside and I changed my mood. And this is where in Australia we have so much freedom. And, and what sometimes I'll say, because we have so much options, the problem is that itself. Mm. Because you jump in one thing to the other. Like you're listening to the radio. My son says, change the channel, change. Well, listen this one first and then we move on whatever the next. So how do we appreciate what we have and enjoy what we can have, but at the same time, 
don't jump around where you end up in a situation where you're not, you know, looking after yourself. I think that's, if that makes sense. Yeah, there was a few points there. One about that jumping, I guess, in in temperament or personality. You know, it is about sometimes people say, well, you're not being honest in that situation because, you know, you had a certain emotion there and, and there. But maybe not being taken over by emotions, is that's a really strong ability to say, I'm upset with you about your behaviour. I'm going to show you yes. that with this tone and this level, but I'm not seething with anger. I still love you and care about you, you know, and I'm able to shift because I'm trying to portray a message to you that I need to do. And you're going to listen better when I'm doing it like this. But then, you know, I will speak to my cousin in a much more respectful way. And that happened to me today. I had a really, really tough year eight class. If I had hair, I would have pulled it right all the way out. (laughs) And, um, and then I had grade fives next. And it was a really tough battle to, to on the walk over to the grade fives to go, you know, to breathe deeply and just walk in and say, it's not, I cannot take any of this out on them. I have to go in fresh, smiling, happy. And and I thought I could do that, but what about if they're really bad? So I actually, or, you know, having a really off day. So I said, sit on the floor. We're going to have a chat. And I said, what are class expectations I'm feeling this way, class. You know, I've just had a class that I struggled with. I'm feeling a little bit heightened. I'm going to need you to show some respect today and I will show you that respect. And by sharing that, they were fantastic, brilliant, you know, and they weren't worse off. They were better off, whereas I could have, and maybe in the past, would have walked in and been like, if one of these students, you know, rubs me the wrong way, that's it, straight to the detention or whatever. And then it's the whole class is against you because you've, they don't understand where you come from. And we can transfer that to, as you said, the, just a visitor, but also the road rage, COVID, you know, uh, your business is struggling or you're not able to go to the bar and see your friends yet. So you take it out on social media and you're typing and trolling and go into a protest, but even with, those that you were talking about before with refugee backgrounds, you know, they've seen trauma, hurt, death or or loss of identity and that vulnerability you spoke about. And then you go, oh, don't get angry at me or don't look at me like that, you know, in society. And it's this spiral of hurt and hate and fear and resentment. So maybe it is true, recognising, hey, I'm I'm feeling this way. I've got to be honest about that before, you know, I react. Yes. And, and it's about the feelings, isn't it? It's about that internal feelings and, and emotions. Yeah. And you're right because what happens is the feelings, when you mention to, if I tell you how I feel, guess what happens to me? Actually, my feelings will go away. Mm. So the, the, the thing that when you actually raised a good point, those students you had today, when I, a young person really playing up, really, and like had enough and it's two o'clock the day and, you know, you get, I always look at like this. I, if I say something, it will affect the rest of his life. So what I do, like I used to do as a youth worker, I've never, ever had one person, a young person, well, 14 years, 15 years of tea, like youth work, I've never had where I felt unsafe with the young people. I felt adults in a way, not unsafe, but they just very rude and disrespectful and uh, not as bad in a way, but as an you know, equally as someone who's older. But young people I've never had, and when a young person plays up, 
what I'm going to say is something that is going to affect the rest of the life or like you are better than that or ignored it. So which way you go? So you, so that's how I think even my children, if I see your child, I'm saying hello to them, I want to give them the best experience. And I'm not even thinking about it. I am myself saying, how are you? you and you know, it, give them a best experience. But the next time, this is my strategy as a youth worker, the reason I've become very successful, I always be firm but very inclusive and welcoming. My face is welcome. You come, come and tell me anything. But I'm firm with you. So you need to respect the building. You need to respect the person next to you. But at the same time, I'm a really friendly. So these two work for me together. And now when I train a youth worker, you want to be successful in a youth work, talk to someone and say, my name is this and this and that. We're going to, we have 10 minutes to discuss this. Please respect me. Then you can have fun if you like. When you tell someone like that, I already know you and the way you think. So if I don't know you the way you think, I have to be fighting with you to get my message come across. So this is what young people, adults are different. Adults, I just tell them the way it is and situations and are nice. And, and, but young person, I always, you know, firm, respectful. Uh, please don't call 12 o'clock midnight because I am adult. Example, you know, the youth work. And, but 9 o'clock next day, if it's an emergency, call this number. So you make it very clear rather than assuming this is what they're going to do. Mm-hmm. So it's just choosing, and, and you have to be the adult about in the room, even when the adults are in the room. I like to think when my, doesn't matter how old people are, I want it to be, I'm a very fun guy. I joke, I laugh, I you know, a few drinks, you know, like whatever everyone does, but at the same time there's certain things that it's very respectful. And you do, you have to have a moral compass of you can rely on me where you say, well, Abdi did this today. No, no, I need to talk to him and ask him. I don't think that's him. And when you ask me, I'll explain to you and then you will believe me and I'll do it again and again. So that trust, and I say to young people, I am here and I will tell you everything about the war and I joke about, and I don't know if you remember some of the jokes. I've got new jokes anyway. So you you kind of teach them the truth, but also you teach them moral compass of, of, you know, being, you know, respectful and always think about other people's the way. You know how we say you have to wear somebody's shoes to understand where they come from. So, you know, and look, I'm not perfect. I yell a lot with my kids and I tell them, they tell me, oh, that that's the wrong thing to do. And I'm thinking... I actually told you that 10 years ago, but thank you very much for it. But it shows me that I've done something good. Mm. And my dad's crazy, but he wasn't that bad. (laughs) But but being able to um, recognise if you did go against something you said, that's a a great trait to have. But And and you mentioned being the adult in the room, even with adults, because we assume that adults have it all together (laughs) and that they're, you know, but often, and we find this more, I find this more and more as I travel through life, you know, there was one point, and maybe we've all gone through this, where I realised my parents didn't know what was going on. You know, like there was this before, they, once upon a time I thought they knew the answer to everything and that if you're in pain, they've got it sorted. And and then one day, I, you know, I'm like, they're just going through this life as much as we are, sort of just uh, reaching around in the dark and hoping something good happens. And there are ways to make life easier and better and, and more productive. And I think that comes from that sense of, yeah, just 
being the best person you can at every moment and trying to to always. focus on that uh, always. Uh, and I would love to hear more about your journey to getting to that point because this podcast is about that alignment of actions, so the things that you do with what you believe in and how you want to behave because no one's bad, as you said, but yes. sometimes bad things happen or they do people yeah. do bad things. How does that happen? So what what has led you to being able to want to do good and then actually implement goodness in your life? Does it come from your childhood or or more from you learning as an adult or, or is it a bit of both? It's good questions. Uh, it's very hard to answer one of the questions, the person I've become. It's very hard. If I tell you something, I'm just telling. What happens is I really believe that doing the good thing, you know, helping someone, it's just naturally something I learned as growing up. You know, like if someone, my neighbour, my next-door neighbour, she's elderly. I did mow her lawn, which I used to do when I was a, I had a business mowing business years ago before I went, after I finished uni and I didn't know what to do. I thought it was fun to do going outside. So I helped do, um, she had a problem with her uh, hot water. We helped her. So these things that I don't even think about, I do. So that I actually want to do that. It just makes me happy. My blood pressure is perfect when I do that. When I help someone, I don't even want them to say thank you. But that's one thing, you know, how, you know, you need to be able, a person enjoy, enjoys with. People say, oh, I love my family. Family is number one. But do you really mean it or you copy it? It's very important. Did you copy that everyone else say to you? Or you actually love it? And then they will say, oh, actually, you, your dad doesn't want to see you the whole weekend because he's busy with his friends and he's going to, and but he doesn't want to see you, but he loves his family. How does that work? So that's not something I do. I say things that I love doing and and things like that. I spend my time with my children because I want them, once they grow up and I have a party, you know, I, that's how I do it. I know. So sometimes it's good to be honest. My youngest son is 13 and a half. I already discussed with him. I said, if I die, what are you going to do? You want to be independent. And he would say, oh, you won't die, Dad. Now he get used to it. We respond. He said, oh, don't worry, I'll do this. But I had to teach him that. Do you know how hard it is to do that? Most parents won't do that. Even my wife wouldn't say that because it finds that death is bad. But one day I will. Mm. So sometimes I'm so happy that to get to that level, to think when I die what's going to happen. Do you know how hard it is in adults to do that? It's a very difficult, I don't know about you, but to think about after you die what's going to happen to your family, it's not an easy thing. Someone my age, if you're 80, yeah, because he thought about it immediately. Maybe I'm wrong. But as a young person, a young father I was at that time even, so I discussed with these things. So if something happens, you know, it's a very hard thing to do on my, you know, my oldest son having a girlfriend. One of the hardest things I find was that girlfriend to talk about it, how he's going to behave or, you know, talk about death. But the reason that is is because I had a situation where, I have no one to rely on. And that's why your second answer, you would say that I had, I, I was a situation where I was alone and, and I still come across and rather than getting angry and upset and angry others, somehow the moral maybe I had 
because my parents told me education and be good and respect. Say hello to that person next door. Even the person was not a nice neighbor at that. As a kid, that's what I thought. But I still, my parents make me do it. And, and I, you can't tell them, oh, he's not like that. I, I think it, so I've learned all this. But then, you know, when you were alone, Romania, by the way, you know, you talk about Somalia. I spent in Romania a year and a half. We didn't touch that. Romania is probably one of my worst place in my life because I could not understand the language. People don't look like me because they think they don't. And also the country wasn't a country where, except refugees, they were poor themselves. So when you're in a situation where you spend time and you won't leave a long time, you start to think. And then I actually, coming to Australia, I didn't think I'll be this successful. There's no way I'll have good friends, good job, and say, my God, I'm so relieved. I've never, ever thought. I thought I would struggle, struggle till my time comes and pass, like die. That was it for me. I'll probably drive taxis. I'll drive buses. No, think the worst of what as immigrants will do, cleaning jobs and, and that. But then my success is not about having a good job. My success is I'm actually making the difference. People are calling me, Abdi, you're so important person so that's my success but i'm not pretending either because if you pretend you won't go that far i'm actually enjoying it being welcomed i had a job today one of the primary schools in brighton and this is my third time in after 2017 and i remember everything about those great sixes i remember everything because i enjoyed i remember some of their faces they're probably old now like kids grow quickly i'm the same height and you know, they, they just become the same as you. So it's quite important. And I actually enjoy my success. I think I probably missed something, but I actually enjoy things that and I don't understand. And I don't want to say that, that I come across not a nice way to say, but I don't understand what when an adult in my age or even younger haven't learned the experience they had. I find really sad when I meet you and, you, you know, you say to me, I've got a friend who actually last. 20 years, he cannot. And I said, but he's a safe, you know, he's living in a safe place. He can speak English. I, I talk about the basic thing and people look at me like, if, if you ask someone, oh, you're very lucky you got hands, they probably look at you like, what do you mean? I have hands. But when I say to someone, you can speak English, you're six too tall, just make the worst that, you know, think about what people think. You, you're this and that, you're mad. How come you're so unhappy? But you, you can't tell them that because they think, you're attacking them because they don't want to accept. So learning about yourself, accepting, looking in the mirror and saying, look, you know what? I'm sorry to say this, but you were saying, I wish I had hair. But looking yourself and saying, you know what? I see a tall and dark and handsome man, but I don't want to tell that everyone. I think about myself. I am valuable. I love myself. There's a future for people with lost hairs. That's how I like to think. I always have something for me in this world. So that's another way to be confident. And, and uh, But that's okay. I accept it. People, you know, I was in a situation where I hope it doesn't happen to you, where you watch a television and say some, someone says, oh, Abdi's a bad person because he came to Australia by huge jumpers. And it really, that's a confronting because, you know, like you don't hear things, but when you hear it, social media, it hurts. But then I, I said to myself, actually, that's not bad because they're teaching me how to be strong. And I was a, someone very sensitive, uh, that's probably helped me. Uh, was very sensitive, a very shy person, 
I listened to listen and no one included me in anything. And now I can't believe that I will call you and say, let's have a coffee. And you'll say yes, rather than saying, oh, really, I don't want to see you. So, you know, like that simple thing that I cannot believe it, that I'm actually living this life. So there's so many things in your life and you're talking about coming from a place of being grateful and having a a growth mindset to continue to grow, but also that mindset of I'm going to count all the great things in my life rather than look at the the negative ones. And you've had that from losing identity, losing a home, losing people that you loved and places that you loved and and that travel and experiencing the worst of, of parts of the world where you're not accepted. And then coming to Australia and doing all these great things and then being on a TV program um, like Go Back to Where You Came From on SBS and and you mentioned one of the things that happened there where someone challenged you and said, hey, um, yeah, love what you have to say and all that, but at the end of the day you, you came here on a passport that wasn't yours and you deserve, uh, you're a criminal. And, and I, I've seen that and and I, I'm in shock by that, but... You've come back from that. I mean, uh, you said you're sensitive. What was the step after something like that happens on national TV? What do you do when you go, I've heard that, I've that's happened to me. How do you then turn around once again for the, you know, thousandth time in your life to say, I'm going to come back better than this and be the adult in the room? That's good. Thank you. I think you're making a really good points with, uh, you know, setting it up the way I, because I forget if I, if you don't do that. But one of the things I go back a little bit before go back to where you came from. One of the things I didn't mention it. I'm sorry that uh, one of the things gave me a really good, healthy thinking. When I was growing up, I had uncles used to come to our house. They showed me a lot of love. They were my mum's side, my dad's side. I didn't see my mum and dad too much, but when they come, I had a lot of love. And my grandmother. I think that's one thing that I asked one time a newspaper I did years ago. What makes the person you are. And I remember saying my grandmother was used to say to me, she thought I was shining. That's where the shining comes from, my book. She thought I was great and shining and smart and bright and clever. So what happens often is you're that early childhood of self-liking. Maybe it came from there. I don't know. That's where, you know, self-liking. When, but when you turn five or six, that's where you start to think, the way the world is, that the bad things about the world where people have to pretend. But before that, if someone tells you that, where well, I'm sure a lot of kids maybe never will have that, even they go mum and dad, but no one's telling them how much they love, you know. So that basics. And going back to one of the hardest things, it doesn't matter what type of childhood you have, if someone say to you, you don't belong here, go back to where you came from, we're talking about, you don't belong here, you came as a kid, German. the whole life you built it, Someone just destroyed it in national TV. It's something as a man, you wouldn't take it. Like I'm talking about man because the listeners of who's, who are men in this program can relate it to this, I'm saying as a man. You know, I was actually thinking at that time, my safety. I wasn't thinking about how angry I I was very angry and disappointed and upset. Why did I even sign up to this? You know, it goes through your own mind. And I'm I'm the type of person to think, oh, well, actually, there's a benefit. The benefit was how strong I can be. The benefit wasn't a benefit that you will think 
mainstream Australians think about all oh, opportunities. No, when you're angry, you don't think about opportunities. You are angry, and and I had a lot to lose because I had children, young ones, as you watched it in in that. And it was really hard. Now, what did I bring to my family? You know, I'm the type of person is I have to do the right thing by kids till they grow up and then they're all responsible their own age, you know. But now I have no excuse. I did the mistake of bringing and doing this show. But what he said on things that they didn't add was more confronting than what he, what they aired. I mean, it was one of the, I, I couldn't, I felt like the world, like I was, my head was spinning. The world was, like, I couldn't believe My safety, if they would have aired things like that, it would have been terrible because people would be, who uh, disagree with that guy would attack me. Why did I even invite someone like this who abuses our cultural religion? So it was confronting. I remember putting my head down Tuesday night. I remember we start, start shooting Sunday and Monday to, I thought, oh, my God, what did I done? Like, I, I've never felt when I was in Somalia that when I've been attacked and kidnapped and all this stuff because it was survival and run. Romania was more like I won't survive from here. But when I put my head, because I, I am responsible, so many people, my mother, I responsible my children and my community like yourself, why did I put myself? And that was really hard. But then, and I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what to do. So what happened was I just thought Abdi needs to come back. What do I normally come back with? So I used my strategy where I say to them, and they stayed my house. So that's another thing that you couldn't have someone who actually says, uh, someone says that uh, what he said about me and then says about everyone else abused in there and having a breakfast in my kitchen. It was confronting. I mean, I don't know if you could have done it, but. It was, and then I had to come back and and in social media, some of the people that I did, that followed these people were not very kind, and I didn't expect to be kind. The, the TV was talking about controversial, but that is where I my life changed again. Like you can see, and that's what I was saying to you before. Some of our friends, you and I, our friends, ten of them, when something happened, take time, take twelve months, take two years, come back come back and show, do, like I was talking to a friend of mine who was an Australian person, he's a man, uh, he wanted to do a program, and he said to me, you keep telling me about this, but I can't do it. And I said, because my answer was, I knew this answer, it's not something I love to say, but I said, I said, my friend, you're not desperate, that's your problem. When you're desperate, because desperate can be, just say you have a child not long ago yourself, you went out there and things they used to do, you need to change because you're desperate to show that child. So desperation is not only hunger or money. No, desperation about value. If you wanted to be respected, you can spend the rest of your life and leave something behind your grand-grandchildren, be example. And that's where I've done so many bad things myself to myself, not looking after myself. But other than now, I'm not doing that. I'm a grown man. I still learn. I don't know a lot of things still, but I learn and I say interesting. The word I look for, when you say something to me, really even good or bad, or agree or not agree, I'll say, that's interesting. In another year or two, I'll be coming another word. I'll be more intelligent, obviously. After a couple of years, I'll tell you another word that I learned. So 
what I'm saying in your program to finish it, the comment is I want to learn more rather than staying where I am. Absolutely. That that word interesting is an open word. It makes, as you said, it doesn't only make the other person feel good, but you've got an opportunity to go back and reflect and get something out of it rather than an argument. But in your in the work that you do, I know you did a fair bit of work even during the pandemic, the main part of the pandemic in, in the northern suburbs of Melbourne, northwest, and, and there's a lot of people coming to grips with what's going on. Did you get to practice that, that use of the word interesting as you're in the job and position you're in? Did you really have to hold your tongue sometimes or even, um, you know, just say, you know, I'm here as a the adult in the room once again and I have to uh, do my best to show those values and be the person I want to be? Oh, yes. Uh, always um, you, you try to do something different um, uh, than everyone else because what you're trying to do is you try to influence uh, what's the best for the community, people who have power and people who follow the power. So how do you, you know, if you talk about the northern, you know, you talk about Flemington and Kensington, and it was quite simple uh, what I did because, you know, they were looking for, people in there were looking for someone listens. I rang them and I listened. And then when I listened to one woman and then she brought another woman and, and I, I was just responding as she said and, I remember last time talking to you about this is when they say, oh, Abdi, I'm looking for a milk, I'm looking for onion, I'm looking for ginger. I didn't say, oh, that's not my job. So one of the things that you often do is you listen to people and, you you know, the, the int- when I say, say interesting, often I say interesting is when I'm very angry. <laughs> but other times I'll say I agree or I have never experienced. But yeah. when you say interesting is you're preventing yourself getting angry and you won't go anywhere. Because one, one thing we know in this, the, the culture we live in uh, is once you get angry, you know what people think, you're not genuine. Mm. So how do you control yourself not being angry? I have situations where I'm talking to a group of people and adults and someone put their hand up and said, oh, I don't like refugees, but I'm not here to talk about refugees. I'm talking about myself. I don't say that, but I have to come up in a way and say, look, I understand where you're coming from. I do. I know where they're coming from because that's their experience. I'm not lying when I said I know where you're coming from. So, and I love that m- moment that people say something bad about me because I actually, why am I there if I cannot handle it? So helping, you know, the first thing started with the coronavirus is I just thought put a mask on and show people different masks. People start responding. Because I realised then, because every time you do something uncomfortable, you do. I don't know if you do it, but every time you do something uncomfortable, I say to the young people, that's the time you change to go to the next level of your life. Mm. If you never feel that belly thing going on when you're speaking, you know, like you never change because you're always comfortable, comfortable. Come when the time comes, you can't handle. So when you have a really good day, you go and say hello to the neighbour that you never liked at the next door. Push yourself. And that neighbour could be the best happened to you in that street. So I know this it, because it happened to me and I remember doing a go back to where you came from. After I finished the show, I was hiding and all that. But then everyone says, you're a hero. And I didn't know what hero was. I thought heroes is when you watch films and then the guy castle, there's a big man and carry a skinny woman and that was the hero. You know, not like that, but like that, you know. You know. But then when people say hero, I have to Google what hero means. I knew what hero is. Oh, oh, the, the, oh, sorry, the word was brave. 
brave, wasn't a hero, was brave. And I thought, well, I know what brave is. Brave is someone who stands for someone and says they're brave. So I didn't realise you can be brave and do things that people often don't do. So I realised what brave means. Brave is just means someone who who go up there and everyone's saying, oh, refugees are not welcome, but you turn up and everyone loves refugees. But you had a really bad... Who said? So who is actually telling these stories about refugees? And then when you go to Brighton Secondary College, everyone loves to talk to you and say, oh, you know what? I understand where you come from because my dad, Second World War, my, my granddad, Second World War, he was a refugee. It feels good. Tell me something that... And, and you have to be inclusive. And I used to think inclusive is, uh, uh, you know, people include you when they want to, but no, sometimes people just include the ones they want to. So what you need to do is you need to find a way always to be included, you know, and, and feel good about yourself and, and things like that. But self-loving is one of the things that if you love yourself, you can still struggle, accept the thing, but you always bounce back because you got that thing that, you know what, I want to do what my grandparents did something to look forward to. You know, my granddad was, you know, he was this and he was this, and but he was a struggle. And that's something I learned and I teach my children is if you went through a tough time, it's actually a way to say, I'm going to do well. If you had a privileged life, you can say, you know what, i make the difference. So you have no excuse not to do well. To do well means be genuine, help your community, enjoy life, and that's how it works. And then you leave something huge behind. Everyone's got a different story and a different experience, but you've got your own and you're able to bounce back and limit the negatives, try to focus on the positives. Yes. What is it at the moment in your life that is that point of discomfort, the point where you get the feeling in the stomach? Do you have something in your life right now that you're trying to use to, to take that next growth level again? Yes, I think what it is is there's two things there and you might enjoy both of them or you might like one of them. But one is being a parent, a teenage, that really scares me, you know, I, and I'm learning a lot and, you know, and I try and I help my wife things that I'm admitting things that I said it and I'm going to change it to the second child and that really scares, you know, that's things that I'm learning. But the other thing is being an older person you know life is actually way better than I thought you know and a lot of people used to say but never listens then that's why I know a lot of young people I keep saying and making jokes about things that I, I hope they remember what I'm saying because it, traditionally when someone tells you they always tell you firm you know you must do this if I can tell the young people another way they might um, believe that but yeah that's kind of my belly and I'm, I'm really looking forward to you know, my wife and I and, you know, and my family and my kids being independent and getting that age where, oh, my God, you know, that task that I made, you know, my 13-year-old now he's 18 and he's actually driving and that's something that, again, is a good, it's exciting and often what it is is what scares you. It's just really scares you. It's just something exciting too because, again, we talked about how when you feel sick about your stomach or something you're not sure and you don't sleep the night, I find it's actually something good. I don't know if you find that, but if I can't sleep at the night time, two in the morning, getting up and turning and turning, it can be bad at that time. It's actually better for you because other nights you don't care what's happened today. 
Yeah. So, but you care about this stuff. So I think that my being a father and my boys, you know, becoming a teenage and I don't feel I'm that old either. I don't, I don't feel, I think that's the part of the good thing about, you know, um, I'm so excited and I still got energy. A lot of people say, you know, when you turn 30, your energy goes, but that's not true. Energy never finishes from me because I love conversations. I love learning more. But, you know, older you get, you start not to learn much, but I'm trying not to do that. It's Harmony Day this week, an important day on the calendar. What does Harmony Day or Harmony mean to you? When you envision that word and see that word, you work with so many people, what sort of makes you positive or optimistic about Australia and, and the world now in these uncertain, divided times? You know, harmony is more important than ever. What sort of keeps you going in that space? Number one is Harmony Day to me is uh, every day should be Harmony Day, but we don't have that. But Harmony Days to me is when people see you, they get excited to see you. The ideology of we remind ourselves whoever created Harmony Day is a good thing because we know this is Harmony Day, we're celebrating that happiness of all together. But it's a sad bit is that, you know, not everyone's privileged like me, you know, like I, my wife is from English background, born in Australia, I'm from Somalia, my kids are related to both cultures and, you know, I've got friends like yourself. So for me, Harmony Day is every day. You know, I don't like saying that word and I, even uh, did a comment in, I, I said, I didn't want to say it because I didn't, not everyone, what I'm saying is related to, because when you say something, it's better if people relate to what you say. They might not understand, but they said, oh, that's a good comment. That makes sense. But I don't want to say something that doesn't make sense. But I'm very lucky because I create my own world. And the other thing when we go back in, in, in things is that we were talking about it is when you have disaster in your life. You lost all the culture in Somalia, the smell of the food. You lost celebrations. You lost, lost 40, 50, 150 kids in my class, died in the war in my own class. You lost uncles who get killed and all this stuff. And you're still angry and you're still upset about whether yourself is upset yourself or upset other people. And that I, I decided to create my own bubble and you know one of the successful is after I create my own bubble of things people still like to join my bubble that that's success that I was talking about because what about if you create your own bubble and no one likes it then you probably haven't done well in a way you know I don't want to say well good or bad but I can't believe it when someone reads oh after you got a beautiful children you feel like saying I already knew that you know I got beautiful children, but someone else is saying, or oh, your kids are very disciplined. And and, and often I, I didn't say this, I, I, I forgot in the conversation, when people say to me, oh, your kids are so disciplined, I feel like saying, oh, I did a lot of work. I have done work, and it's not because my upbringing, it's just I put my youth work, my education, the way I talk to, you know, when I'm driving, that's how we say, you know, you talk to the child and, I've done all these things. I talk things that normally people don't say because I only got one shot. They're going to grow, as you know, so quickly. So, you know, so Harmony Day for me is it's exciting day for me because I feel like I have more friends than it, it just feels good. Harmony Day is we should be having that most of the time, Harmony Day. 
and, and I'm trying to create as much as I can friendship with anyone who are genuinely who accepted to listen. It doesn't matter what background you are, if I see you and I get excited, that's harmony done. You know, and, and some people, obviously, they don't get excited because they've never had the privilege. I know 110% you had a good upbringing. Otherwise, you and I wouldn't be talking to each other, not because I'm great, not because you shouldn't be doing this, this stories if you didn't have understanding. Like if I interview you, you probably say to me, oh, and I, I can't believe that. I, is that what your parents did? Is that what? Is that how you brought I will say that. I know because when I see someone who's have similar mentality and similar understanding and say interesting, or, you know, saying I, that shows me you must have had a really good upbringing, disciplined love life. I, I, I believe that. So that's Harmony Day for me. Like if I go to the shop and I go to the shop, I have some food, that's Harmony Day because they smiled at me. I come, you know, and they remember my name, you know, that type of thing, yes. Yeah, I'm caught reflecting on Harmony Day and and, um, that we sometimes say, it. oh, it's diversity and difference. But at the end of the day... Or food. Or food, yeah, like bring a plate from your culture and that's it, Um, (laughs) which is lovely. But, you know, there's more to it than that. But it is friendship. I should be able to be friends with anyone based on values and wanting to be a part of their bubble, as you say, rather than just because of the tribal thing or whatever it might be. It has to be where we remove those barriers and hopefully we get there one day. But I like how you said for you personally, Harmony Day means this, but it isn't that for everyone. I forget that often that I live in my own bubble, in my own privilege, in my own space, even talking about Melbourne as a livable city. Livable for who? Who are we saying? Exactly. Livable livable for the person that lives in East Melbourne and that, you know, whatever. There are many people struggling every day that aren't living in harmony with themselves or with others and no, for no fault of their own a lot of the time. And um, we're privileged in Australia to have the choices, too many choices shouldn't be a problem, where we can say, you know what, if I can make my choice today to be nice to someone and smile and not get road rage, you know, walk outside after a hard conversation with a smile, be honest, get people wanting to be part of my circle. That's the best way to do it because, um, you know, we get caught up with like, I want to change the world tomorrow. Um, I'm going to, if I was prime minister, I'd do this, but no, you do have that opportunity uh, in your own life and in your own circle. And you as someone that's inspiring to say, you know, 15 years of this work, you didn't think you were going to be successful. you, You were saying, and now all of a sudden, you are, and that success is because you've loved it, you've enjoyed it, you've lived it, and you've done it consistently over time, and um, and you're still learning today. So it's been a pleasure learning about that and hearing from you, Abdi. I really appreciate it, first of all. But before I let you go, I do want to ask my final question to every guest I have, which is, have you had a moment of clarity that you've stumbled upon recently that you'd like to share with us today? Yes. um, In 2020, I didn't think I will lose or lost in 2020 everything the media was saying, mental health. And and there's a moment where I thought, oh, my God, you know, like you got three children and coronavirus and a scary stuff. And then when after September or November that we realised we can control this coronavirus. And not only so much the coronavirus, but 
it came back all the memory of mental health about Somalia and the war and what's going to happen if if we have to, you know, we used to watch films, American films, where if you go outside, you will get the disease. So you have to stay inside. And they have wearing a guns and, uh, you know, you attack the alien and that's the disease. You know, you start to think of those type of movie, get to that. But then when everything came back, I thought, that's it. I'm going to, I'm on track. I'm going to be a better than what I was doing 2019. You know, I'm going to, so that was the moment December, January, roughly that time. I can't put finger to it, you know, and I actually live in a good country to be able to distance people. And if a vaccination comes, I'll probably get one of the first people. There's no tribal and you just got your local area. So all these things together, my children's safe and, and, you know, that type of thing. So that's the moment that I thought. And then after January the 28th was my first job, then on track was then I could be able to make the difference again in a different world. 2019 is actually wasn't, before 2019, my story wasn't powerful. Now it is. Because now everyone says, I understand now. Like, I don't understand your refugee experience and your experience. Now I get, I got scared. The one that I thought is when I can make the difference. For me, the reason I live, you didn't ask this question, maybe you did and I didn't answer, is why am I living this world that everything I went through, I was a privileged as a kid, that horrible thing happened, and now I'm privileged. Why am I still going? The reason I'm going is because I want to make the difference. I want to, when I, I'm gone, I want to leave something. You know what? Abdi was lived to this life, this year, and this is what he has done. That's something I live for. And I'm honest with you, I've never said this loud. I think about it all the time. And that's why the moment, what happened also, I'll, I'll add to this, this is not the question you asked. My son was doing kindest, kindest pandemic in Facebook. I don't know if you followed them. They got half a million people. And I posted wearing a mask and he's wearing a mask. He was 12 at that time and 13 now. The school was shut. So he did that. And he had like 2.5Ks people liked him and commenting, young person, what a smart... So they ask us to do what's called kindest pandemic, Kofi's kindest pandemic for 66 days. So it means 66 days you must do every day to be kind. So he finished his 66 days. He printed his own printing. Uh, they say, let's do that. And the library, Victorian library say to him, he done 70 days, but 66 was, and people start saying from America, from Canada, from South Africa, please can you keep posting this kid? The things he was writing, I couldn't even write it. As an adult, he was saying, oh, I got a basketball. I'm very grateful. My mother's a nurse. My father's a youth worker, public speaker, and they couldn't believe it. He was 13 and 12 at that time. Anyway, the library came, took a photo of other family, and they said, can we donate to his journal, the actual book journal. So we gave to the library and they said, we're going to show this uh, book 100 years later and see what happened to our 100 years early, people like you and I, technology will go on. We look like a terribly not a cool people 100 years later. But they wanted to show that book that I helped my son to write it and they're writing another story to it in the to, how lucky 
someone living in this world, they've been recognised, including me and my son and the family, to be able to be in the best museum in the world. I'll say this in the world. This is where you say best city because the, 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 the museum is... So Victoria Museum took the project. How lucky. So that's what... Before this happened, 2019, I believed that I would be making the difference after I got... But this is the moments. A lot to come and other... My book... So this is... This is the moment I'm talking about living good life, making the difference as you go. Thank you, Abdi. That was brilliant. I've really loved this conversation. I've taken away a lot. During my introduction, I'll, I'll unpack some of the things I have taken away because there's there's so much there. There's There's a really broad amount of knowledge and wisdom that comes from just hearing you talk. But, you know, there is that that level of wisdom, understanding, empathy, but it is all about how can I help you? How can I help the other? And that I think is what we should all strive to do in life. So so thank you for sharing. Thank you. And, and one thing I'll add to what you said is it's about training yourself and the people around you to become things they struggle. So whatever it is, we can't say to be better because what better for them is better for you is different. So that's what I, w- I would like to say is that being able to, how do you train yourself? That's that's where, the way I, I train myself to think how I train myself to, to be able to learn how to understand. When my wife says to me, this is what women going through in the world, how do I understand the best way possible? Yeah. So that's the key of helping each other is to teach a young children to train themselves how to train when you're not there. So thank you very much, and I really enjoyed it. And uh, and we'll, we'll keep the friendship going. We'll have a coffee um, when we can. So I really appreciate you, you listening to me. If you enjoyed the conversation today, please subscribe, share with your friends and family, and leave a review. If you would like to contact me, provide feedback, or have access to someone you believe could be a great guest on the podcast, you can contact me on Instagram or Facebook at Moments of Clarity Podcast, or on Twitter at BarneyMOC. You can also email me on Moments of Clarity Podcast at gmail.com. My name is Barney, and thank you for joining me on Moments of Clarity.